Good morning, it's great to be with you. It's my joy this morning to take us on in our series of Daniel, looking at Daniel chapter 9. If you want a title for my message, it's this, Daniel's Prayer, God's Righteousness and the Promise of the Coming Kingdom. Life at times is tough, isn't it? Life doesn't often or always pan out as we hope, as we expect, as we want. Stuff just kind of happens. We could probably all look over our lives and see stuff that's happened that we never would have wanted or planned. And I guess in some ways this last year of the pandemic has magnified, focused our attention on the reality that that's always the case. There have been new pressures, haven't there? We've struggled different ones to raise kids at home, to get into teaching, maybe some struggling to pay bills with jobs having been lost, maybe some sadly suffering themselves through illness, through COVID or losing people uh, to death in COVID and being bereaved in some way. It's been a whole mix of a year. Um, For some, they may have found it easier and had more space, but for many, it's been incredibly traumatic. The isolation as well that's been there for many. But it has focused our attention, hasn't it? In some ways, as I say, a magnifying glass that's caused us all to reflect on life and the value we put on different things. And in some ways shows us what is always the case, that we have plans and they're thwarted and there's suffering and there's death and things go on in life that are beyond our control, that we can't kind of somehow put in their box and manage, that actually life is a bit bigger than us. And at those moments, heightened over this last year by the pandemic, but in any of those moments, we are faced with the kind of questions that are faced in Daniel and in Daniel chapter 9 of, where is God? What is he doing? And as we look at chapter 9 today, we see that's the kind of question potentially spinning around Daniel's mind as we get a glimpse of God's at least part of God's answer to those questions as he sends Gabriel to speak to Daniel. So Daniel chapter 9 brings us into the big picture of history again. It's a a big picture that we've touched in chapters 2 and chapter 7. In chapter 2 there was the great statue which covers history from the Babylonian exile to the coming of the kingdom of God. In Daniel 7 you've got the beasts emerging from the from the sea that represent kingdoms and cover history until the kingdom is given to one like a son of man. Here again in chapter 9 then, it's big picture. History is covered from the Babylonian exile to its end. It covers the manner of its end and again talks about the ushering in of the kingdom of God. This is about exile then to the coming of God's kingdom and the hope that that brings to God's people in the midst of their exile. Of course, much of the detail of this is worked out in Israel's setting, and yet we're drawn into imagery, we're drawn into contexts that set us up for the coming of Christ and our place as the church in New Testament and post-New Testament times. Scene 1 in chapter 9. Daniel is reading Jeremiah, probably chapter 25 or chapter 29. 
of Jeremiah, both of which refer to the 70 years of exile before God would restore his people. Daniel realises, because of the time in which he lives, that that 70 years is almost up. But he knows that the return is not automatic. And so he turns to prayer. There's some pretty serious prayer going on. I don't know whether you've picked it up in reading the passage for yourselves or hearing it. But in verse 3, it says this. So Daniel speaking, I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and petition, in fasting and in sackcloth and in ashes. When did you pray lastly like that? (laughs) Daniel knows exile is judgment And he knows that exile is supposed to be about cleansing. And you can see his mind whirring. If exile is going to finish as Jeremiah the prophet spoke, we better make sure we're cleansed. We better make sure we're ready. We don't want this to go on any longer than it need. And we want to make sure that we're ready for all that God wants to do. We better have learned what we need to have learned. And so he turns to this prayer, earnestly calling on God. And what's really intriguing in his prayer is that despite the book of Daniel acknowledging time and time again how righteous and godly Daniel is as as a man, in his prayer he aligns himself with the sin of Israel. We've sinned, we've turned against God, we've been rebellious. He takes the humble place and says, God, forgive us, for we've sinned. And if we look at the content of his prayer, you find that time and again then, Daniel centres in on the character of God. This God is a God whose character is beyond uh, beyond critique. He says this in verse 4, Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. This is the covenant-keeping God. Eight times in this chapter, Daniel uses the name for God, which in the Hebrew is Yahweh. And that particular name of God is used when they want to, when the writer wants to speak about the covenant keeping God. In fact, I think in Daniel, it's only in this chapter that name is used. So there's something that Daniel wants to center in on to say, God, you're a covenant keeping God. You're a righteous God. You're a faithful God who keeps his covenant of love with those who follow him and respond to him. God, he goes on as he focuses on his character. This covenant-keeping God, this righteous God, is a faithful God who is merciful and forgiving. This God is a God who speaks and warns his people as he's spoken time and again through his prophets. And yet Daniel, in taking the humble place, recognises that, but we've been hard of hearing. We've been stubborn. We've not listened to the word of the prophet. And we've been sin, full of sin and wicked and rebellious. We've turned from God's laws and commands. Our our lives, our nation is full of shame. We've been unfaithful. Daniel recognises that judgment is deserved. That cleansing is needed. And that actually this is not a God who's fickle. But this is a God who's being true to his covenant. God always said, look back in Leviticus, 
when he spoke about if you don't follow me, these things will happen. This is a God who has warned them time and time again. If you turn away, if you go into idolatry, then you will ultimately be taken into exile. And here they are in exile, not because God is fickle, but because God is righteous and wants to call them to account and wants to cleanse them and wants to call them back to himself. Everything that's going on, Daniel knows, is in keeping with God's character. They've sinned, they're in exile and judgment, but God remains righteous. And so Daniel turns to this supplication or this intercession. Look in verse 17. Powerful words, now our God, hear the prayers and petitions of your servant. For your sake, Lord, look with favour on your desolate sanctuary. Give ear, our God, and hear. Open your eyes and see the desolation of the city that bears your name. We don't make requests of you because we're righteous, but because of your great mercy. Lord, listen. Lord, forgive. Lord, hear and act. For your sake, my God, do not delay because you're sitting, your people bear your name. Daniel knows this covenant-keeping, righteous, faithful God is also a God full of mercy and compassion. And so he appeals to this God of mercy and compassion for the sake of his own name, knowing that they as a people deserve nothing, but God, you're merciful and for your glory and your honour, and because you brought us out of Egypt and established us as your people, act again for the glory of your name and bring us out of exile. At this point, we enter scene two. Scene two is Gabriel coming on the scene again. This is the second time in the book of Daniel that Daniel has encountered Gabriel, having seen him first in the vision that he had in chapter eight. Now there's much debate, much debate. It's one of the probably most controversial passages in Daniel, so I am not going to go through it all in detail at all. But much debate about the meaning of the message that Gabriel brings. We'll try and go with the big picture and the major thrust rather than the detail. Gabriel's message kind of begins this way. Seventy-sevens are decreed for your people and your holy city to finish transgression Put an, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy or the most holy place. There's a time period of 77s in this communication that is divided into three. First you have a seven sevens, then you have 62 sevens and then you have one seven. This full time period divided into three and different things will happen in each time period. There will be a period of restoration, there'll be a period of rebuilding and yet there will be further destruction and further suffering. All have their place but all of it leads to the coming of the kingdom of God just like in chapter two and just like in chapter seven. Now there's incredible debate over how we're to read those numbers. 70 times 7. Some see it as 70 times 7 weeks, meaning four weeks of years, meaning 490 years. And they try to allocate the different time periods of this king or this person or this anointed one. Maybe there's something in there. But others see it as purely symbolic. 
that the number seven is frequently used to refer to completeness and perfection, as in the seven days of creation. Some see something numerical going on here that refers to the year of Jubilee spoken of in Leviticus, and there's something of Jubilee going on here. Maybe all three have something to say to us. But ultimately, what we see is there will be ups and downs, there'll be restorations, and there'll be suffering, and there'll be judgments, and there'll be destruction. But ultimately, it will come to an end. The kingdom of God will come to an end. Until that time, though Jerusalem may be rebuilt, Israel will continue to be ruled by many other nations and they will experience times of desolation. And maybe we can root these down as some try to do to say that's what that desolation is in history and that's what that one is. But maybe we're also supposed to see that until the coming of the kingdom of God in fullness, there will always be these periods, these times of suffering and death and desolation and rebuilding and restoration, that this will go on, but it will come to an end. The exile will continue then, but it will not be the last word. It will not be. Exile is never the last word. It will only last until the coming of the kingdom of God. And Daniel, or God through Daniel, wants the people to know that there will be an end. And that end will come not through their exile and them somehow getting sorted out enough that they can go, we're now clean, we, we've earned it ourselves, we've made it. But that exile will come to an end, which is why it's being extended, because Israel can't do it. It will come to an end when an anointed one comes, who atones for sin, who will suffer and die, who will establish a new covenant and bring the old sacrificial system to its end or fulfilment. Can you see hints of what we know as New Testament believers right here in this passage in Daniel? Can you see the hope that God is wanting to bring to the people in exile? The picture of this anointed messianic figure that we've glimpsed at already in Daniel. You think of Daniel chapter 7, this one like a son of man who's given the kingdoms of the world, who is there in triumph, and, he, and full of glory, here we see that this anointed one, this messianic figure, figure, though triumphant, that triumph comes through suffering and death. It's like we get a, a filled out picture of what the anointed one, the Messiah, will look like when he comes. The one through whom the kingdom of God will come. And folks, we are the receptors of that kingdom. We are the ones who live post the coming of Christ. The one who is and was seen to be that anointed the one. The one who through his life and through his suffering and through his death and through his resurrection is the one who atoned for sin. Is the one through whom the kingdom of God has been ushered in. Is the one through whom we find an end to exile. And yet as we come into our New Testaments and read all of this, we start to understand that in Daniel there's a telescoping of the prophetic. There's a sense in which Daniel sees this one act when the kingdom will come, but we realise that the kingdom has been ushered in by Christ. But we still look to a future. We look to the day when Christ will come back again. There's a second coming of the Anointed One, this time to deal with all of evil, 
to completely, to make all things new, to bring heaven and earth together, to come and to live amongst his people. And that's our hope in our time of exile. And folks, as this exile of 70 years was extended for Daniel to become this ongoing thing until the kingdom comes, so we live in that period of exile. We are exilic people. That is our normal place of existence. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1. Look at Hebrews chapter 11. Both of them referring to us being a people in exile. And we are to live as people in exile, knowing that our true home, our true kingdom, are not, is not the kingdom of this, of this world, but is the kingdom of our God. And that one day a new Jerusalem will come down out of heaven and, and heaven and earth will become one and God will dwell here. And all sin and all evil and all suffering and all shame and all unforgiveness and all isolation will be done away with and we will live with God in peace and harmony forever. Until that day, we live as an exilic people. You know, I think the pandemic has been helpful for us. I think because what it does is it's heightened this sense that we're not in a world where everything works out as I think it should. We are in a world where plans are not all under my control. We are an exiled people. And in this period of pandemic, I don't know what's gone on for you, but it's like it's, it's magnifying the, the kind of people we should be all along. And that actually as we come out of this pandemic, out of this lockdown, in whatever shape or form that is, we should not forget the lessons of it. We should recognise we must continue to live as God's exiled people. Why? Because... We live in a world that is full of idols. One of the things I think that's gone on for me and our individual response to exile is this. We were forced, haven't we? We've been forced to somehow face the reality of my relationship with God in a way that I've not had the communal support in the way that actually I think I should and in the way that I want. But I've been left with me and God and it's like God is going, I want Phil Norris back. I want Phil Norris to live as a person who recognises I'm his king, I'm his Lord. And as he lives amongst the idols of this world that say, come worship me. Money says, come worship me. Success says, come worship me. Uh, Physical attributes say, come worship me. All kinds of things. Consumerism says, come worship me. What I do is I'm left with my relationship with God. I'm faced with my mortality and I recognise there's a kingdom that actually God wants me to be part of and whose, whose king he wants me to know and to love. And so I'm called back individually through this pandemic. And yet I think there's a call to us as a church through this pandemic that we should not forget because we're still exiled people. As a church, we've been faced with what we value being taken away from us. The opportunity to worship together, the opportunity to gather, the building of relationships through personal connection, all of which are so important as we are part of the people of God. And yet we can so often slip into a complacency, a settling back into church becomes this thing, this club I go to once a week. This meeting I go to on a Sunday and yet actually God shouts at us through this pandemic and as we come out of this pandemic, no, church is who you are, not a thing you do, but it's about being God's people. 
all the time, wherever you are. Not following the ways of the world, not ticking a box to say I've done that club, but somehow remembering that we are the exilic people of God, living for his glory and living in his, for his, uh, in his ways. And I think we see a call to the nation. A nation that somehow has been faced with in this pandemic that we haven't got everything under our control. It's beyond us. A nation that's been faced with its mortality and weakness and the nations of the world, of course, this is relevant to as well. And yet my concern as we come out of this pandemic and listen, I'm delighted, celebrate the vaccine. But the danger is we now think we succeeded. We got it right. We didn't need God. And somehow, of course, God has gifted these people, certain people with intelligence to do the experimentation and come up with the scientific solutions. And I celebrate all of that. I'll be getting my vaccine. But actually, we also need to remember that life is beyond us. It's beyond our control. That actually my mortality is there, whether I'm in pandemic or not in pandemic. And actually, I should bow the knee before God. We live in hope, don't we? In the faithfulness and the righteousness and the mercy of this God who will fulfill his promises and will bring exile to an end, whether it's the exile of the pandemic or the exile of life until the kingdom of God is ushered in in fullness and we rejoice in that time when there's peace and harmony and wholeness. Until then, don't give up hope. The fact that you still experience suffering, that I still experience suffering. The fact that it's been so long. Don't give up hope. That's the message from Daniel chapter 9. There will be an end. God is faithful. God is righteous. The kingdom will fully come one day. So live in hope in him and live for him. God bless you.